Hi, this is John Ratzenberger. That's right, the same John Ratzenberger that played the part of the very handsome mailman on the TV show Cheers. Now, it's a little-known fact that, in my heart, I'm just a country boy. Welcome to the NutriBlends Animal Ag Podcast, where we tell the truth about American agriculture. On this podcast, false rumors are run out of town. Misleading marketing gets called out for what it is, and you better have good science to back up your claims or you're getting a boot. You hear me? I'm John Ratzenberger, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. International trade in protein food products continues to grow and Consumers around the world have more choices than ever. Okay. In most countries, consumption of meat, milk, and eggs grows with rising per capita income. A recent global survey found that two-thirds of consumers expect to maintain or increase their consumption of animal protein in the next year. Dr. Darren Henry brings extensive expertise in animal health and husbandry to his leadership position in Diamond V. He also brings practical financial business management and production animal medicine to Diamond V customers and allied industry partners. Dr. Henry attended Oregon State University, where he received his B.S. in animal science as well as his D.V.M. Welcome, Dr. Henry. What role does animal health play in the quality, safety, and sustainability of protein from animal sources? Well, John, I'm sure you've seen by now the data sets from the World Health Organization and others related to global population growth. You know, what are they saying, 9 billion by 2050? Does that ring a bell with you? Oh, 9 billion by 2050. Now, I know it takes 57 years to count to a billion. (laughs) My son and I figured that out. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that's... 57, because we're thinking, like, how far is that planet... Well, it's five billion light years. Well, how how much really, if you started right now, take you fifty seven years to count to one billion? <laughs> We're going to have to get somebody that writes faster. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that 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 stat though, on nine billion by twenty fifty, is pretty well published out there, and it supports developing middle class wealth, access to safe, high quality protein, and it appears to be something where demand will continue to grow, possibly exponentially. Um, if we tie into that uh, some other health-related uh, concerns that we have around antimicrobial resistance and multi-drug resistance, there's some that are projecting that we could see as many as 10, de- 10 million deaths a year globally related to that uh uh, critical concern. So safe mm. food production and sustainable farm practices are going to be essential so that we can mitigate that risk of those types of things occurring. So we're going to need to increase our efficiencies and productivity as well as our animal health and welfare um, actions, uh, you know, to match m- match those growing demands. So obviously healthy animals and more productive are, are more productive. We're going to stay healthier and that should mean that we can harvest more per animal that's produced and help them reach their genetic potential more to meet this meet this demand of uh, and uh, kind of an insatiable appetite it appears for uh, global protein uh, consumption. 
right. So when veterinarians and nutritionists evaluate in-feed technologies, what are the key criteria? Uh, yeah, so as it relates to the uh, topic at hand, I'd say unfortunately most of us are tr- uh, thinking about in-feed technologies in a traditional sense, meaning that uh, we're, we're using them to meet a nutrient requirement for production outcomes of interest or to fix a problem. Uh, like, uh, you know, maybe needing a little more fiber in the diet or, um, or filling a deficiency like a vitamin or trace mineral deficiency. Um, but that's changing, and it's time for actually the veterinary community to, if you will, get back into the rations and work more closely with nutritionists. John, uh, by this I mean that new technologies impact innate immune function and are truly part of a well-designed animal health program that just happen to be administered conveniently and easily in the feed. Uh, But because they're not a nutrient per se, rather they enhance nutrient utilization by improving uh, improving microbial homeostasis and disease prevention, they are truly best understood uh, by those trained in immunology and epidemiology and applied through a well-understood evidence-based medicine approach to managing disease risk. So... You know, the research does show that these technologies assist things like the veterinary immunization program. They help antibiotics work better the first time when they're needed, when disease may manifest itself. So being part of that veterinary health program uh, is important. So I envision uh, and encourage, you know, our veterinary nutritionist communities out there to work in lockstep more, uh, uh, more effectively, uh, more deliberately, to create a more comprehensive approach to animal health and well-being. The way animals are raised and marketed it makes a big difference to the economic viability of the farm. But what types of technologies are needed to optimize animal well-being and environmental sustainability well, while maintaining a profitable farming operation? Um, I, I like to think uh, about this a little differently than a lot of folks, John. Um, Sustainability has many definitions, but as it relates to making educated risk management decisions for farmers, uh, there are four uh, key areas of significance, I call them, that I look at to help them remain economically viable. And technologies that can impact these four buckets are critical uh, to the future of safe, responsible, and sustainable animal protein production, in my opinion. So there's four major buckets that I think about and, and work through. And, um, and I actually rank them hierarchically differently than sometimes others do out there. So there's a biological and clinical significance. And so do the technologies that we're implementing, uh, do they have an effect on an animal's health or productivity? And is it repeatable and, and um, economically viable? Um, the second one is economic significance. And so sometimes, uh, you know, you can have... Uh, you know, a million, a million examples at a penny a piece, and it's a million dollars. But if it's a, you know, if it's a, in a hundred million dollar operation, you know, you may or may not think that's significant. But uh, in in a in a smaller operation or in a in in a situation where a loss of an individual unit may cost you a million or ten million dollars, mm-hmm. all of a sudden uh, it's important. So economic significance plays a big role in how we uh, make decisions. And then the one that's really growing um, and that I think we hear about uh, just about every day now and have for at least the last decade is social significance. Uh, it's still oftentimes being dismissed by many of uh, folks in our industry, and that's a big mistake. 
Um, we need to look no further than the smart money flow on Wall Street. Food companies and consumers are very clear that they want to know where animals originated and how they were raised, making transparency critical. So some key concepts in that uh, include the, you know, that we have to be able to be transparent about the way we handle animals, um, what we're doing about emissions, um, how we're managing uh, pathogens that could lead to food safety risk. Um, recently, and uh, a real hot button right now, is, is antibiotic use and the judicious use of those. Uh, to where, you know, they really are accepting, uh, beginning to accept and understand more that, but only want us to use them to treat disease, relieve suffering um, for animals raised for food. And they want to see them being able to express themselves fairly freely. So a recent quote by major um, Wall Street venture capital uh, CEO was that in the future, and he said the future is now, um, we're no longer going to invest in companies who don't appreciate uh, and, you know, really try to synchronize between corporate profits and social responsibility. And I think that's a real lesson for us in agriculture. Uh, oftentimes we think we're moved from the mainstream, but uh, food security is national mm -hmm. security and it's, um, it's critical uh, for each and every one of us. And so I think we have to align with and find those ways um, where we can achieve those um, uh, outcomes that meet, you know, new social beliefs because consumers are demanding it uh, with social media and the way that we can transfer information today. Uh, it's at their fingertips, and I think we have to embrace it because we have a heck of a story to tell in agriculture, but we have to market it correctly, and we have to make sure we're uh, comfortable shedding some of the paradigms yeah, that's uh, in fact. I'm, after I leave here, I go and have a meeting with a company that's doing online marketing. But that's they said exactly the same thing because the old way of marketing has gone by the wayside. But now you can zero in on a real target audience and get better results. So if you wanted to go and you know the people that are concerned about antibiotics and meat, or you can find them on the internet because they have blogs and whole communities talking about that sort of way to get your word out is, I mean, it's there, it's just waiting, but the old marketing ways are going by the wayside, it looks like. Yeah. And, and, and also kind of the privacy is, you know, as other uh, speakers you've talked to have mentioned that, uh, you know, we have to be more transparent and more open to having people, um, inviting people into, into these ag operations because more and more generations are becoming removed from the farm. And, mm. and so we just don't have the perspective as a, as a, um, community anymore on, on what, uh, you know, what those practices are. And, you know, we're used to just going to the store or going to the restaurant. Uh, and so our perspective is skewed as, you know, uh, as a consuming public, but we owe it to them to be able to explain it in a way and, uh, support their beliefs while also supporting uh, productivity and health in the animals. So, you know, that, that's that third area of significance that I'm talking about. The fourth, fourth one that we lean on so much in the veterinary community is statistical significance, meaning that technologies of things we implement are, you know, have um, a predictable uh, outcome to them. But the fact that we spent so much time just on that, I think, hopefully raises awareness for our audience that Social significance is a major driver of, of how we're going to need to uh, make some significant shifts 
in the way that uh, we communicate and embrace the public. Yeah, the modes of communication. I mean, even things like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that. I mean, if you don't have somebody in your company on that, that would uh, be a good way to go because it's out there. They're out there just waiting for that information. Somebody once told me, John, and I think this is um, actually truthful. Um, you know, they you've probably heard this. You're, uh, this is probably came right out of, actually, I think it may have been uh, uh, President Reagan said it, that uh, every cowboy wants to be a movie star and every movie star wants to be a cowboy. Yep. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Well, in our world, uh, every farmer wants to have a relationship with a consumer-facing food company. And more and more, every food company wants to have a relationship with a farm that's doing the right thing. And so if the people in between that, in the middle of that, can allow that type of commerce to happen, I think that we will have some wild successes. And I'm working in, on mm -hmm. projects now and finding those exact sec, uh, successes. Huge paradigm shift for the power, uh, power players in the industry, mm -hmm. but it's the right thing to do. And the players on either end of that the farm and the consumer or the consumer facing companies want it. So I think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's very hopeful. I mean, it's just what a, it's a great time to be, you know, above ground with all this stuff going on. It, um, where is the science leading in the quest for healthy, efficient animals raised with judicious use of antibiotics? John, from my seat, you know, that, that train has actually left the station. Uh, in the U.S., uh, a few years ago, uh, we had a um, uh, situation where uh, our federal government uh, put, put forth the veterinary feed directive. Uh, fed, veterinary feed directive, excuse me. And that really memorialized the fact that we must do better and reduce the reliance on mass medications in, in feed uh, for animals intended for food. And honestly, I can't recall a day in the past three years where my newsfeed hasn't been filled with articles related to concerns around antimicrobial resistance or multi-drug drug resistance. And the belief that animal production is somehow contributing to negative outcomes in people, pets, livestock, and actually the planet uh, itself. And I've really spent the last 10 years focusing on this and working with world leaders and academia and regulatory agencies and non-government organizations, consumer groups, working specifically to protect access to antibiotics for health and welfare purposes. But that said, the mass medication, which we call metaphylaxis, really must stop. And my research and that of many others clearly shows that our antibiotics are not working as well as they once did. You know, quite simply, those bugs are developing resistance very quickly, and they really have since the advent of pen penicillin. Just mm. a few short months after that, um, you know, we saw that resistance was developing there, and, and now with multiple classes of antibiotics and those that are needed to treat diseases of critical importance, it's, a, it's essential that we're um, being judicious with the use of those shared class antibiotics that uh, we need for uh, protecting and treating disease. So I say we simply embrace the challenge and find better ways to capitalize and market to consumers. And one simple example is that we need to do a better job segregating marking our animals intended for food that never receive an antibiotic. Um, we have systems that do that, marketing programs, but most conventional operators who use them judiciously just to treat animals when they become sick, and we must do that because otherwise we'd be compromising our welfare standards. 
many of those are 90 or 95% of their animals are meeting this social construct. So we need to figure out mechanisms whereby they can be harvested and marketed and that value that gets created Mm. Um, is equitably shared back down with them for doing such a good job. And I think we can do it. There's a couple camps out there on that, though. There are those that think that um, in doing that, um, it's not possible because, um, you know, we're going to um, sacrifice efficiency for health. Uh, but that's not true. Um, I've got lots of examples where I've been completely able to eliminate these feed-grade antibiotics. And in some cases, well, in most cases, at least 50% reduction in any antibiotics needed to treat disease and, and sometimes uh, upwards of 80 or 90%. And that's really, it's a really a multi-hurdle uh, approach mindset. And it goes back to the basics, John, just like you grew up on a farm and we're out there, it's animal husbandry and it's housing and it's caring for these animals in a way that allows them their five freedoms and, uh, you know, uh, and the ability to express themselves naturally. And uh, a lot of folks are just saying, yeah, but, you know, we're in a system that needs to be high efficiency and high throughput. True enough, um, we have a lot of mouths to feed out there. But my research, I'm going to tell you, Productivity is not less. It's actually better. Health is better. And when animals do get sick and need an antibiotic, when we reach for the appropriate antibiotic, it works better the first time. So we don't have to go to another one to try to treat or another yeah, a one, one, a yeah. stronger one, to get the job done. And that's a real judicious act. you know. And that's a very... Um, good way for us to think about it. So as veterinarians uh, are out there consulting and, and helping their producers embrace, um, embrace these uh, new realities, you know, natural technologies that are shown to enhance immune function and support a healthy microbiome are really leading the industry and have the ability to create a paradigm shift around the use of antibiotics for food production. And for me, John, it's not just a no-brainer. Um, I, just like every vet veterinarian out there, took an oath to protect animals, people, and the planet. So therefore, we're obligated by that oath. And if we wake up every morning, I do this. I've, uh, I've shared this with uh, colleagues in the past. Wake up. Put the, make sure that's on your wall in your office or that you have a laminated card on your visor in your pickup uh, as you're getting ready to make farm calls. And recite that and remember what our noble purpose is and what we're called to do. And these things that we're trying to shift towards— we're going to be a heck of a lot easier, and then we're going to know our why, and we're never going to have a job again in our life. We're just going to be doing those uh, strong stewardship practices that are going to uh, to bring goodness and help scale goodness out there in in the food producing communities. Does it include the first do no harm? It absolutely does, John. Yeah, do no harm is a is a guiding principle, uh, just like it is in human medicine, mm -hmm. and so you're hitting a really key uh, point there on why judicious use or before we reach for an antibiotic, is there any intervention, whether it be a technology or a best farm practice that I could have done or that I should do before reaching for that antibiotic? And it requires some critical thinking and it requires us to slow down a little bit and think about the big picture. Mm -hmm. But that's a guiding principle for sure. Welfare and sustainability are buzzwords in animal agriculture. Today's consumers are more involved in how their food is raised and where it comes from. I'd like to thank Dr. Henry from Diamond V for joining us today and encourage our listeners to tune in next week to see what's on tap 
in animal agriculture.